0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a couple of things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, HopeChurchOnline.com. There you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. The message you're about to watch is week eight. We're tackling the topic of incarnation and asking the question, who is Jesus and why is he so special? If you've missed any messages in this series, we encourage you go back and listen to the messages you've missed. Once again. Thanks for checking out this message here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there are any questions you have or any way that we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message.
1: Well, in the fall of 2016, a new TV show aired on NBC that would become one of the most successful TV shows in the last decade. My wife and I have become obsessed with this show. Pretty much our entire friend circle has become obsessed with the show. Maybe you have, like us, laughed with, cried with, and hung on every single episode of a show called This Is Us. (laughs) Cheers in every service. There's some This Is Us fans at Hope Church. Now, if you haven't been enlightened yet by this show, it's an amazing show, you should check it out. But... All throughout the show, literally from practically the beginning of this show, we knew that something was going to happen to a significant character in the show named Jack. We all knew it. Maybe you haven't watched This Is Us, but you've watched shows, uh, movies that have like these cliffhangers, this tension that is building. You know something's coming, you just don't know when. For 31 episodes to be exact... They built the tension. When is this thing going to happen to Jack? And then two weeks before the Super Bowl, at the end of the episode, they showed a preview for the episode that would air right after the Super Bowl. And it was an amazing preview, and it had all the music and the drama. And at the very end of the preview, some of you will remember this, it flashed four big words across the screen. It said, this is the episode. And all the This Is Us fans were ready. Who cares about the Super Bowl? I need to go home and watch This Is Us after the Super Bowl. And that's what we did. We were at a party. I grabbed my wife and my kids. I said, let's go. We got somewhere to be on our couch watching This Is Us. We got to know. The tension was building, the stage had been set for something significant to happen. For the last seven weeks as a church, we've been on a journey through a story together the story of God's love through the Bible in our series, Pages. And we've been seeing some tension build over the last seven weeks. We saw our creator, God, create everything that we know. He created you and I in his image. Then we saw creation get broken by us in our sin. We rebelled against God and the fall of man happened, but God is a good, redeeming God. And he sought after us when we didn't deserve it. And he said, I promise you to a man named Abraham, That I will make this wrong right. And I will send a promised Messiah, a promised Savior to make right what you did wrong. Because I love you and I want relationship with you. Now for us, it's only been four weeks since Pastor Tom preached on the promise of God to Abraham. But in actuality, it's been over 2,000 years. It was over 2,000 years between the promise being made and the promise coming. Again, I want us to to think about that for a minute. 2,000 years. Talk about some tension being built. How many funerals? How many generations? How much wandering? How much waiting? Clinging to the promise that God was going to send the Savior. Pastor Vance taught us last week that God also sent prophets to progressively reveal who the Messiah was going to be. Some of you remember the puzzle piece illustration. Piece by piece, God was showing us and his people who the Messiah was going to be. But again, get this. After the last prophet spoke on the Messiah, history tells us 400 years of silence followed. 400 years of silence where there was no prophetic voice speaking about the Messiah. That's almost double the length the United States of America has been in existence as a country. Multiple generations lived and died without hearing about the Messiah. You could say the tension had been built. The stage was set for something significant. God had everyone's attention. And ladies and gentlemen, today is the day. This is the episode. We celebrate it every year at Christmas time. But the massive, all important, life changing reality is that the promise of God has come. The promise that God made to Abraham is here. His name is Jesus Christ, and because of him, everything changes. We make a transition in our series to the New Testament. Today, we are talking about the incarnation. Incarnation is is a, a theological term that simply means the reality that God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And here's the question we have on the table to ask and answer in our time together today Who is Jesus, and why is he so special? Before we get to Easter next week, and Pastor Vance is going to proclaim the gospel at Easter, who is Jesus? We have to answer this question as we enter into this week, the holy week in our culture. Who is Jesus, and why is he so special? So we are turning to the New Testament, and the first four books of the New Testament are often referred to as the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three books of the New Testament, they tell the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus from a very similar perspective. But there's a a fourth gospel writer. His name is John. This guy's my favorite. I had a college professor one time say that John was the weird, artsy gospel writer. You'll see that as you read the gospel. He he goes, he takes left turns. He goes everywhere, right? Because the other three kind of follow a, a similar cadence. But John kind of blazes his own trail, and I like it. And so if you have a Bible, open it up to the gospel of John, the fourth book in the New Testament. We're going to read a few verses. And as you turn there, I do have to give you a word of warning. Depending on how long you've been around church, what we're about to discuss today is not going to necessarily be new information for you. I've said it in all the services, but my wife Candice has literally been following Jesus, praise God, since she was like six years old. So she's been following Jesus for a certain amount of years. I don't want to say how many because that'll get me in trouble, but she's been following Jesus for a certain amount of years. And here's the deal. She's heard what we're about to talk about thousands of times some of you have been following Jesus for decades upon decades. And what you are hearing today from God's word, you've heard thousands of times. My kids, eight years old and under, have already heard this hundreds of times. I've been a Christian for about 15 years now. I've heard this hundreds of times. But here's what we believe at Hope Church. We believe what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says about God's word. It says that his word is living living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to cut through all that we've heard and all that we know today and rest on our hearts and change us today. So here's something I've been praying all week as we enter into a very significant week where our culture, who doesn't care about Jesus much of the time, is really gonna be talking about Jesus a whole lot. I have been praying for you and for myself all week that God would open up our eyes to the glory of the things that we've heard so much that we've started taking it for granted. That, that we would hear God's word today and we would see, God would open our eyes to the glory of the things that we've heard so much in church that we began taking them for granted. And here's what I've been praying is that God would use today To put an exclamation point on your faith and my faith as we walk out into Holy Week. And we celebrate all that this week is for us as Christians. That today as we look at who Jesus is and why he's so special, it would put an exclamation point on all that we believe. We can stand firm on what the word of God says about Christ as we head into this week. God became a man. Clyde Cranford, a friend of our church that we quote often, Pastor Vance's personal mentor, said this. The incarnation is the most cataclysmic event in all the history of the universe. Every other historical fact pales in comparison to the incomprehensible wonder. God has come in the flesh. So with that in our minds, let's look at the first three verses of the Gospel of John, and then we'll skip down to verse 14. Here's what the Word of God says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of those four verses, we are going to unpack who is Jesus and why is he so special. So John introduces Jesus to us with a term that would have been very familiar to his audience. This term, the word. Again, this is artsy, but it's not accidental. He uses this on purpose. He does this for two reasons. He has an audience, remember, who is predominantly Greek and Jewish. And so you have to understand, to the Greeks, they actually use this term, the word, to describe the rational principle that governed the universe. So in their philosophizing, they would say the word is the rational principle that, 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 that governs the universe. And so John here is saying in the beginning, the, the, the thing that you guys think ration, uh, the, the governs the entire universe, I want to connect that to my God who was Jesus. And I want to say in the beginning was the word. To the Jews, this also was significant because this is the word was a way of referring to God in the Old Testament. So John, not by accident, uses this term, the word, to describe Christ. So with this question, who is Jesus and why is he so special, we are going to answer that with four points that will eventually build a sentence that I hope and I've been praying will be an exclamation point for my faith and for your faith as we head into this week. So here's the first point and the first part of our sentence. Jesus is eternal. Eternal. Again, depending on how long you've spent in church, that is not new information, but it would be, we would do well to dwell on that today. Jesus is eternal. John starts by saying, in the beginning was the word. Again, this is a familiar passage to the people that were reading this and also to us. He brings us right back to the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, God says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So he starts the same way his gospel as Genesis started. This is a story. In Genesis 1:1, 1, 1, the Holy Spirit of God inspired the writer to point back and to point us forward to what was going to happen in creation. But then in John chapter 1 verse 1, he points us back to what was already there before creation. In the beginning, you could say the word already was. Again, you can't fully wrap our heads around this. I've been saying all morning that a lot of the stuff we're about to study today are going to kind of be a little mind bomb, right? This is a mind bomb for us because we can't fully understand, we can't fully wrap our heads around this, but John is saying here, before the first second ever expired off time's clock, before the first sunrise, the first full moon, before the first wave ever crashed on a seashore, when there was no earth, no galaxy, no sun, no ocean, no animals, no humans, no nothing, Jesus was. John MacArthur said it very succinctly. He said, Jesus Christ was already in existence when the heavens and the earth were created. Thus, he is not a created being, but existed from all eternity. Look at this sentence. The word did not then begin to be, but at the point which all else began to be, he already was. In the beginning, place it where you may. The word already existed. In other words, the word is before time, eternal. Colossians 1.17 agrees with this. It says, he existed, that's Jesus, before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Again, we've heard this if we spent any time in church, but we need to push pause on this for a minute. John is telling us here that Jesus Christ is the one who has always been and will always be. There was never, there has never, there will ever be a time when Jesus is not. A lot of times we hear the word eternity and we think really, really, really far into the future, but eventually it'll end. No, eternity spans back and forward. There is no beginning. There is no ending. God was not created. Jesus was never created. He wasn't created for Christmas in a little manger. Jesus has always existed and will always exist forever eternal. But he continues to the second point in the second part of our sentence. Jesus is the eternal God he says and the word was with God and the word was God now this is significant for us as Jesus followers this is the game changer many religions would give Jesus a place of honor as a prophet or a teacher or somebody to follow Even people who aren't religious. I have a lot of friends that don't really care about following Jesus or religion at all. And they wouldn't even have any issue with following Jesus as a moral guide or a good teacher. The problem is the Bible doesn't call him a moral guide or a good teacher. The Bible says he always has been and always will be God. And that's where some lines are drawn. John gives us two important phrases. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. God, According to Greek scholars, this phrase literally means face to face. It communicates a couple things to us as we read that. First, it communicates the personality of Jesus. The Word was not in God. The Word was with God, revealing this amazing mind-bomb mystery that is known as the Trinity. It's a huge core doctrine for us as believers in Jesus. But we do not serve three gods. We serve one God who exists in three persons. Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You say, that sounds like three. One plus one plus one equals three. Well, with God, one plus one plus one equals one. We do not serve three gods. We serve one God in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. This shows when it says the word was with God, the personality, face-to-face with God. The second thing it shows is his equality with God the Father. See, in Greek culture and in many cultures around the world, when you approach someone of higher rank or class, you never approach them face-to-face. This summer, I'll go to Thailand for my eighth time, and they are an honor and respect culture. And so all the little kids that we'll do the VBS for, they will always come up to us, and they will always bow in reverence. They will always bow, why? To show that there is an equality difference between them and I. Again, I don't think that, but they're saying, you are older than me. I'm bowing in reverence. If I walk up to an old man in the culture, I'm going to bow in reverence because I'm going to show them I understand you are older than me and wiser than me. And so in this culture, we we do not say face-to-face. We bow. Same thing in the Greek culture. So it is not insignificant that John would say he was face to face with God, showing that Jesus is equal to God the Father in the Trinity, perfect, holy. The word was with God, but also he goes on to say the word was God. One of the clearest Most distinct places in scripture where it says Jesus is the eternal God. This simple truth is the distinct difference between Christianity and all other faiths. This week I had an awesome opportunity to go to my old junior high school in Henderson, Brown Junior High School. We have a couple... Teachers, they are a couple members here who are teachers and they're in the social studies department and they're doing a history of world religions right now in their social studies department. So they said, hey, we'd love for you to come get this in a public school, Brown Junior High School in Henderson, Nevada, and we want you to just share for 15 minutes about Christianity. Amen. I was stoked. I got so excited. I get to go back to the halls that I roamed and the class that I used to sit in. And I got to go there and not tell people to follow my my prophet or my teacher or somebody else that I hope eventually will get me to where I want to go. I got to go into that room that I once was in as an eighth grade student at Brown Junior High School. And I got to, with God confidence, say, my God is Jesus Christ and he came to rescue me. And he came to rescue you. See, we live in a very pluralistic society. It basically says, come on, we all kind of believe the same thing. We got some differences, but we all kind of believe the same thing. Well, this is an area where the lines are drawn. Because when you start saying Jesus is God, people go, whoa. Because everything we believe hinges on this reality. If Jesus isn't God, this whole thing falls apart for this reason. Throughout history, this has been the single most attacked doctrine of the faith. Many accept Jesus as a teacher or a great example, but they deny that he is God. I think they know the implications. If God really did come into his creation and die on a cross for his people, you have to deal with that. So it's all over the New Testament. John says it very emphatically here, Jesus is God. But also I want you to see Jesus claimed it to be true. Jesus himself, lots of times in scripture, claimed to be God. I'll show you one in John chapter 10, verse 30. He says very clearly, I and the father are one. You have to understand when he said that to the people he was talking to, that would have been a record scratch moment. That is not a small thing to say. I and and, and the father who is the father of Abraham, your father, we are one. That is a emphatic statement that they are equal. They are, he is God. One of the most clarifying books for me as a new Christian is a book called uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And in it, it was written back in the 1950s. And he pushes back on a notion that's still very much alive in our culture. It's basically this, this philosophy that says you can take the social ideas of Jesus The peaceful ideas of Jesus, the love your neighbor philosophy, but but leave the the sin and the the cross and the heaven and hell conversations and the really radical ideas. I I want this stuff, but I don't want that stuff. And C.S. Lewis says, and it's still true today, that if you look at what Jesus himself said, he has not given us that option. And he says, if you were to put all the things that Jesus said all over the stage, and we were able to look at everything that Jesus said, you'd really be left with one of three options. The first one is he said, you would have to say he is a bold face liar. If everything he said didn't come true, then nothing he said can be trusted, and he's a liar. Second option C.S. Lewis gives is my favorite. He says he's either a liar or he's a complete lunatic, because think of some of the things that Jesus said. He said, I'm going to die, and in three days, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Again, we hear that from a biblical lens. Think about if somebody did that here today, right now. Came up and said, hey, before you share, Scott, I want to say, I'm going to die today, but next Sunday, I'm going to come back on Easter Sunday, and I'm going to show you guys that I'm alive. Listen, you guys would be like, that guy is a crazy person. You wouldn't say... Maybe we should talk to that guy after service and find out what social ideas and you know, philosophy he has that I can follow in my life. Now That guy's crazy. He said when he was talking to people, hey, I want you to know you're telling me about your son that's sick right now. I want you to know as you were talking, I healed him. Go home. He's healed. He said, me and God the Father are one. This is not somebody you want your kids growing up to be like unless everything he said was true. This is not some just like take that, leave that. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or C.S. Lewis says he's exactly who he says he is, and he is the Lord of the universe. There's no gray area. See, I love this because a lot of people think you have to check your brain at the door to be a Christian. And so you get people that say, come on, critics of Christianity will say, come on, let's be rational. Look at the things you see and you believe. Listen, let's be rational. You can't look at Jesus's life and take a little bit, but leave the rest. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's exactly who he says he is, and he's the Lord of all creation. Jesus is the eternal God. And just in case we are not totally clear on what John is saying, he adds verses two and three. He says, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Leads us to our third point, third part of our sentence Jesus is the eternal God who created all things. Jesus is the eternal God who created all things. Again, let's let the word of God sit on us today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This is talking about this Jesus. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's talking about our God. That's talking about Jesus holding the universe that we know of in his hands, holding it together. You see, the problem is there's a disconnect between the Jesus that we read in scripture and the Jesus that a lot of us will see this week. This week, we will see a Jesus on our screens, on our feeds on TV and, and, and specials from Discovery Channel, National Channel, they're going to talk about Jesus. But I think what they do is they, they propagate what I like to call Pantene Pro V Jesus. You know him. He's the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus that's somehow from Israel. And he's this meek and mild, passive, looks more like a hippie from the 70s who's a philosophizer of good things. And if we're not careful as Christians, we'll see that over and over and over again. And we start to lose sight of who our God really is in Jesus Christ. We start to lose sight of the, the, the ruler-ness of Christ. We start to lose sight of the bossness of Jesus Christ. He is not weak. He is not passive. He is not disinterested in your life. Right now, he's holding everything that we know of in all of existence in the palm of his hands, and he's making it happen. Did you know right now the earth is spending a thousand plus miles an hour and you're sitting here in a still chair watching me preach? How's that possible? God is at work in the universe right now, allowing everything to happen for his glory. Right now, amen. You say right now, that's awesome. God is making big things happen in the universe. But I've talked to so many people that are on board with God doing big things in the world, but they don't really feel like he's very interested in their lives. Talk to people like that all the time. I I know God's at work. I know he's the creator. I know he did all the big things, but what about my life? Does he care about my life? I cannot speak to the people in your life and their care for you and their concern for you, but I can speak to what the Bible says about the creator God of the universe who right now is intimately acquainted with all of your ways. Everything about your life and your body right now is happening the way it's supposed to because God is saying yes. Yes. The breath that you just took was ordained and given to you by Jesus Christ, our God. He's not just the big creator God who is disinterested in your life. We just sang it. He is your author, your maker, your savior, your anchor, your refuge, your hiding place. And as I was preparing this week, I thought, man, somebody needs to hear that in the place today. Somebody's going to need to hear that on Sunday. I had a lady come forward in the 815 service, and she said, I came in here broken, and I came in here thirsty for something, and you told me, the, the Bible says God wants to fill that void in my life. I said, amen, that is true, no matter how you feel. He knows every hair on your head, every hurt in your heart, every word that we think or say, every stress that you walked into. And here's the best part. He's not some far off aloof God. The Bible says that God came near. Look at verse 14. After clearly building this case of who Jesus is, John reveals something unbelievable. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Gives us the last part of our statement today. Jesus is the eternal God who created all things and entered the world he created. I don't know how many times you've heard that, but I have been praying that God lets that just sit on us for a minute. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God Himself took on humanity. The infinite became the finite. Eternity entered time. The invisible became visible. The creator entered into his creation. And here's this: this is the good part. God became a man and yet continued to be fully God. A hundred percent man, the Bible says, but a hundred percent God. You say, Scott, I know math. That doesn't add up. I know. I got four kids. I'm trying to teach them theology right now. And I'm trying to say, okay, God was 100% God. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And they're just kind of looking at me like, what is my dad thinking, right? And that's what a lot of people do. They say, see, I can't get with that because I can't figure that out. So I'm out. I can't get with that. But here's what I say to them. I'm so glad I can't fit my God in a little box. I'm so glad I can't put an equal sign and give every single detail about my God and put him in a box. Because if he could fit in a box, I don't think he'd be worth worshiping. So here's what God does when we talk about the Trinity. And we talk about him coming as a man but still being 100% God. Is God takes my little box and blows it up. And says, I am God. Trust me. So I praise God for his bigness, and I hope you will too. And I love this. John continues, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he continues on that verse. He says, and we saw it. Again, we read John, it's the apostle John. This is an uneducated fisherman writing a letter. And he's saying, I know this sounds crazy, but I saw it. For three years, I followed this man, and he healed people, and he did miracles, and he said he was God, and he raised from the dead. I saw it with my own eyes. And for us as Jesus followers, we're in that same boat. Listen, I'm looking back at 15 years of following Jesus, and I'm just telling you right now, I've seen it. I've seen him take something that is so broken. I've seen him take marriages and lives that are so broken and things that are destroyed and addictions, and I have seen his glory at work in those situations. I have seen it, and so have you. That's our God. All throughout his life, Jesus was on display as God. Miracles, signs, wonders. You say, why is Jesus so special? One of the answers is the Incarnation. That God became a man and dwelt among us. If there was no sinless life, there would be no sinless life without the incarnation. There would be no death on the cross without the incarnation. There would be no resurrection for our life without the incarnation. There would be no hope for salvation for you and I without the incarnation. It is not insignificant today that God became a man and dwelt among us. And going into this week, we will hear a lot about Jesus In our culture, we will hear for the next week a lot about Jesus. Some things are right and some things are wrong. We wanted to give an exclamation point today on our faith to stand on. That Jesus Christ is the eternal God who created all things and entered the world he created. Jesus, you are good. You are God. Just like we have all day today. We are praying right now that you would do what you want to do. Holy Spirit of God, we invite you to move on hearts, to change people. Just as Jordan prayed earlier, would you not let us stay the same as we walk out of here today? Just as we take a few minutes to respond, the rest of John's gospel goes on to explain the amazing details of Jesus's life. And just like we said earlier, the reality is Jesus doesn't leave us a lot of options to be on the fence about him. You and I have to deal with the person of Jesus and who we believe he is and who he was. And near the end of his gospel, John gives us these words in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, but these things have been written, these things meaning the book of John, these things have been written that you may believe That Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. See, Jesus did not come to earth to give us great philosophy to follow. Jesus didn't come to earth to teach us to love our neighbor better. The crowning reason Jesus came to earth is to fulfill the promise that God gave to Abraham thousands of years before that to right the wrong of sin and to redeem us back to himself. That's why God became a man and dwelt among us. So the question on the table for all of us today is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? There's nothing you and I can do to get ourselves cleaned up enough to be accepted by God. The Bible says Jesus has done all the work for us. His death on the cross— in our place was payment for our sin. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to conjure up to get to God today. God came to get you. That's the incarnation. It's been paid for. It's free. It's available. We've had people in the last couple services say, I need that. We've been saying it like this. Maybe you came in this morning. And you walked in and you are in a spiritual desert. Desert and you're looking for anything because you are so dying of thirst, Jesus would call himself today the living water that will cleanse your thirst. If you're a person who needs to begin a relationship with Jesus today, we have pastors up here. As soon as we stand and start singing, we've had people come. Just come and say you need Jesus. Had a lady come, 815 service. She just said, I'm thirsty. Amen. We're all thirsty in here. We are all desperate for Jesus today in here. Maybe you need to begin a relationship with Jesus today. Maybe you want to have a conversation. You got some questions about a relationship with Jesus. That's what this time is for. Every week, we'd love to have a conversation with you about how Jesus changes people. Jesus transforms lives. He heals what is broken. For others of you, you may be believers, but you are struggling right now. There's things going on in your marriage, in your family, in your health, at your job. This is a time every week that we have pastors up here. We as your pastors would love to put our hands on you and pray for you. Don't feel alone. You don't have to walk through whatever you're walking through alone. Let us put our arms around you and pray for you. Maybe you wanna come here as we sing and just kneel at the altar and worship this Jesus who we've been lifting up all service. We've been talking about how worthy of his name he is. We've been praising the name of the Lord our God. That is Jesus today and we can do it again. So, God, I pray right now, whether people need to meet you today, begin a relationship with Jesus, whether they are already believers and just need encouragement, just need prayer, I pray that they would come. I pray that people would come and just worship at the altar. Whatever you're doing in people's hearts right now, I pray that they would not be able to ignore it. Jesus, thank you for who you are. You are the eternal God who created all things and stepped into the world you created. God, you are worthy of our praise and right now we wanna worship you. You're good, you're God. We trust you to move into work and have your way in this time. In Jesus' name.